welcome to CXO Talk, episode number 823. We're speaking with Clara Shai, who is the CEO of Salesforce AI. I lead our AI efforts across the company. Previously, I was the, the GDM and CEO of Service Cloud, which is our portfolio of customer support technology. And a couple of years ago, we started prototyping generative AI applications. And this is, you know, well before ChatGPT was released. We, we worked on some very early prototypes. And, you know, all the events from the last 18 months have really, let, uh, you know, lit interest across all of our customers in these products. And so last year, I took on a newly created role of, of leading AI, AI across the company. And our first order of business was to um, to productize and to ship the initial set of generative AI applications, including Service GPT and Sales GPT and our Einstein trust layer. And then the second order of business, which we are just a few weeks away from, from releasing, is building our AI platform, a set of shared services that all of the Salesforce clouds internally can consume, but also our customers and our ISV partners can also use too. And so specifically, we are, we're going to be releasing our prompt builder our co-pilot and our co-pilot studio on February 29th. Clara, you work with so many customers of Salesforce. What is the state of adoption of AI in the enterprise today? It's varied. And Salesforce works with companies of all sizes, from the Fortune 100 all the way down to, you know, one and two person proprietorships. And so, you know, our business has always been, it's a third, a third, a third, SOB, a medium-sized businesses and the very large enterprise. And so, you know, across the board, we're seeing very keen interest in generative AI. There's been a lot of customers that have been trialing our, our GPT products that are in market and a very, a smaller number of them that have rolled out their first use case. And then, as you can imagine, an even smaller number that have rolled out multiple use cases into production. Do you see patterns by industry or type of company? Are there are there concentrations where AI is being adopted more rapidly or where there's resistance? Regulated industries, there's, there's just more considerations in terms of proceeding. Um, but I'd say across the board, whether it's been regulated industries or non-regulated industries, every company that that we meet with, their number one question is around trust. And both on the data privacy, data security side, as well as on the ethical guardrail side. And so this is really why, you know, one of the very first products that we've built and put out in the market is our Einstein Trust Layer. And that encompasses everything from data masking of proprietary or personally identifiable information, um, data grounding with our data cloud, citations, keeping an audit trail, toxicity filter. And maybe the most important is the zero retention prompts so that nothing that's sent to a large language model ever gets retained um, into the training of that model. And so uh, I think the companies that have gotten comfortable with AI, it's really because they feel confident about the security and the data privacy guardrails that we put in place. And they've been able to to scale out from there. And, and I've seen, we have, we have companies, you know, from Heathrow Airport to AAA insurance to, you know, Gucci that are, you know, really across industries that are adopting these technologies and really starting to see an ROI. You know, it's interesting that you say that the trust, the the security, and the privacy are the number one concerns. I would have thought that it's the capabilities and the opportunities of AI. So it's a little bit counterintuitive to me. It's surprising. I think maybe this, if we contrast it to the metaverse or blockchain, like people are like, well, what's the use case? And then is it? I think in this case, everyone gets it, right? Everyone understands because they played around with ChatGPT or with Bard, they get that generative AI is really powerful. And and so I think they kind of skip ahead to say, okay, this is really powerful. A lot of knowledge work is going to be automated or at least drastically accelerated. How do I make sure I deploy it in a secure and safe and trusted way? So the issue is not so much, is this a beneficial thing to us? The issue is, we are going to use this. And so the question then becomes, what's the best way to use it and to satisfy the security and trust issues that you're describing? I think so. And I mean, of course, right after we answer the trust question, then there's the, the roadmap question of where do we start? 
And certainly that is is predicated on uh, on the business case and understanding how am I driving greater sales productivity? How, how can I take my average seller who today spends 70% of their time on admin, non-customer-facing tasks, like preparing a quote, sending an order, sending follow-up emails? How do I reduce that even by a few percentage points and get my seller more productive? Um, or how do I streamline my customer service so that the customers are no longer waiting you know, 20 minutes, an hour to talk to somebody or to get an e- email response, but they can get it much more instantaneously. Clara, you were just describing the roadmap question. How do companies go about thinking of their investments as they look at AI and they're thinking, well, how do we invest in this? What do we invest in? Because it is so new. What I'm seeing customers do is they're saying, I, I just want, I want a few use cases that I know will work. And what we're seeing, and this this has been well covered from McKinsey reports to Goldman Sachs reports, BCG Bain, you know, all of the the consulting firms. It, it, we start typically with customer service, um, with marketing, and also with um, sales and and software development. Right? These are very well known domains that are tried and true for large language models. And so I'll, I'll just talk about customer service, since that's that's the business I used to run here at Salesforce. I mean. If you think about the the, the t- time and motion of a typical customer su- support rep today, the customer question comes in through email, through phone, through chat, whatever channel. And the, the lag time usually involves this customer service rep having to, to hunt down the knowledge to answer the question or resolve the issue. And this will typically involve, you know, one or realistically dozens of different knowledge articles, product documentation that they're consulting and kind of reading through and trying to match up the section of that knowledge article or documentation with the exact customer configuration, um, or there's no answer. So then they're they're on, on Slack messaging their colleague and trying to figure out the right person to get the answer, or they it's just beyond their, their knowledge and they have to um, put the customer on hold and transfer the customer to someone who has that knowledge. So this is like a huge bottleneck. It's a huge inefficiency. It's frustrating for the customer support team. It's infuriating for the customer. And this is this is where, where we've started. And, and so many of our customer starters, like a, sim- a simple use, ca- use case like that, that can really unlock this bottleneck. And so that's why I think we've seen so much uptake in in the service reply recommendations. That was one of the, the first features we rolled out in service GPT is, you know, regardless of channel, the, the question comes in. And before the human rep is even working it, we can already have AI instantly looking up dozens, thousands of articles and Slack transcripts about the similar issue and drafting the answer um, so that it's, it's there waiting. And so I think that's step one is like, what are the quick wins that can really automate these tasks, these owner's tasks and bottlenecks? I think phase two that some companies are already thinking about is, okay, if I do this in mass, Right. How do I actually change the job description of everybody on my customer support team? How do I actually start to reshape this department to be to maybe do more? And this is exactly what we saw at Gucci. Gucci was an early prototype customer for us. And the, the prototype we, we built together resulted in, in service GPT, but it also resulted in Gucci's client service reps being able to answer customer questions much more quickly. But the fascinating thing was that after they resolved the customer issue, they didn't just hang up the phone or end the interaction. They were able to play a bigger role. They were able to become brand storytellers and salespeople and be able to look at the marketing engagement data of that customer and be able to talk to the customer. Okay, we, we, we solved the issue with you know the broken handle in your suitcase. I see that you have the, our, our latest season handbag in your e-commerce shopping cart, let me tell you about it. Let me tell you the story, the heritage of this bag, how it's handcrafted in Milan, Italy. And it's been amazing just to see this transformation of this client service center really into a concierge service for their their clients. So the initial use case then involves a very clearly defined result that you're trying to achieve. 
where you can very clearly see the ROI. Is that a correct way of saying it? Yeah, it's a quick win with immediate ROI using metrics that we track today, like average handle time and first call resolution in CSAT. And then the secondary effect is even bigger, right? And it's un- it was unexpected. We didn't go into the the experiment with this with Gucci thinking that we would reinvent the job description of these individuals, but that's exactly what's happening. We have a couple of questions that have come in on this issue of the secondary larger effect. So let's jump first to Twitter. And this is from Arsalan Khan. He's a regular listener and he asks very thought-provoking questions. And here's his question. He says, how do you make sure that AI is not just another digital transformation under IT? If AI disrupts the business model and the culture, which departments should take the lead? It's not just IT's job. It's not just the AI and data science team's job to utilize generative AI. It really becomes everyone's job, starting with the CEO, his or her direct reports, the board, all the way down to every individual. And there, this is a top-down and bottom-up change management exercise, just like with the internet, right? If you're, if you were a CEO in the '90s, you had one job, which was to provide secure internet access to everybody in your company. It wasn't to block the internet. It wasn't to tell your employees that they couldn't use the internet to do their job. It was to provide that. And then, as an employee, regardless of job function in the '90s, it was your job to learn how to use Google search and to learn how to use email and online calendar. Right? Maybe you could go to a, a workplace training for that, but really it was incumbent on you to, to do that. We're going through that exact same 1998 moment right now with AI. Company leaders have to provide a secure environment like Einstein, Trustlayer, for their employees to be able to use generative AI. Some of the use cases will be prescribed by the company and by IT, like service reply recommendations, but there also has to be room for employees to experiment and learn, and they're going to discover maybe even more powerful use cases that that leadership top-down didn't anticipate because the employees closest to the work are, are best positioned to do so. What I find particularly interesting here is, of course, this shift into our AI period is driven by technology, but as you just described, the impacts are not necessarily tech well technology impacts their business impacts that have a broad footprint and so there is this very strong uh, cultural dimension as well always right the the hardest part about technology transformation is always the people the culture the change management please subscribe to the CXO talk newsletter and subscribe to our YouTube channel. And we have another question on this topic from Greg Walters on LinkedIn. And he asks a few questions together. He says, when creating your GPTs, do human psychology and relationship experts contribute to the development? And then he goes on to say, do you see AI changing the way prospects make purchasing decisions? And then the downstream from that is the AI replacing selling professionals. So, so again, it's, it's, he's asking about the broad implications here. The first question, do we involve human psychology and relationship experts in the development of our products? We absolutely do, right? Because the human acceptance and viewing of AI as a co-pilot partner is essential in making this work. And so when I look at what we did at Gucci, you know, we, we involved our Office for Ethical and Humane Use of AI. So they were a big part of the, the product and prototype design. And they're actually, they, they're part of all of our product development at Salesforce, not just for AI, but, but all the technologies that we develop. And then the other critical um, you know, unlock for us was we didn't, we don't build our technologies, especially these brand new product categories from the ivory tower. We we went to the customer site, right? We went to Milan. We went to their client service center um, on the East Coast and we sat down 
with the team. And we talked about what they would find most helpful. And they actually, we, we camped out there. We had a team camped out there for two weeks. And every day at the end of the day, we'd get feedback and we would, we, we would immediately update the prototype based on the feedback of what was effective. And so I think that co-creation process first built trust with, with the team on the ground. And then secondly, resulted in a product that really is useful to the people who were using it. So that's, that's absolutely critical in the approach, especially when it comes to AI. The next question is, how do you see the way AI may change the selling process and the, the implications for selling for sales professionals? The typical sales professional today spends 70% of their time not selling. And again, that's just not, it's, it's productive work, but it's not rewarding work. And it's, it's work that frankly can be dramatically accelerated with AI. So if you think about every step of the sales cycle, right, starting with, with prospecting and figuring out who to prospect to, and then once you've got your lead list, how to reach them, each of those steps can be assisted with, with an Einstein co-pilot to really help make sure that that list is really good in the first place and that the outreach to each individual lead is very personalized and has is high yield. And then you think about um, preparing for that first meeting and doing research on the prospect's company, if it's a B2B company or personal situation based on any, you know, a lot of times there's like upfront surveys or, or questionnaires that are filled out uh, or lead forms. And then it's the, the meeting itself, how AI can help coach the, the sales rep in real time. It can transcribe and take away insights, interests, as well as action items from that sales call and actually every sales meeting that happens. And then afterwards, you know, if you if there's a BDR to AE handoff, right, there's a, a handoff there that the AI can help with is providing all that context as if that AE were in that initial meeting and so on and so forth, right? All the way down to helping prepare quotes and order forms and um, automating a lot of the, again, traditionally manual onerous steps of the day in a life of a salesperson. And so this is going to be transformative. We're already seeing that even with our own sales team. And then I believe the final question is, what what does this mean from the customer's perspective? Well, the customer, uh, especially sophisticated B2B procurement teams and customers, they're going to be using AI also to sift through RFP responses and to um, and to help make the buying process more transparent and accelerated. Clara, as you're speaking, the message that I'm getting here is that when thinking about about AI applying to applying AI to a business process or a job function, the key is really to is to understand deeply what that function is, how that process works, to be able to then map the AI capabilities onto that function or that process. Is that is that a correct statement? That's exactly right. I mean, that's certainly the first step, right? And, and it goes back to Clay Christensen's. Uh, framework about jobs to be done. What are the jobs to be done today? And then the second stage, as we're seeing with Gucci, is like, what are the jobs that could be done if you free up and automate a lot of the current menial tasks? We have a question on Twitter from Jake Kosowski, who says, for companies looking to adopt AI, how can they do so quickly while also instilling trust in the technology both for internal employees and externally with customers. That is exactly the reason why customers work with with Salesforce for our Einstein AI. So let me let me walk you through a typical journey that we that our customers are going on. So, you know, every company in the last 12 months have been, has been told by their board that they need to not only have a generative AI strategy, but a plan that they're they're operationalizing and at least experimenting with. And so what a lot of companies have done is they went out and they they purchased an enterprise version of, of ChatGPT or or Bard or you know pick your favorite large language model and they're like okay well then what right this is what am I going to do with this how do I how do I hook up my data how do I get this into the hands of my employees or are they going to have like a ChatGPT window open like that there's like adoption is very spotty and the the results aren't very good 
And so um, what they've come to us to do and what's so exciting is they said, okay, I want those quick wins. Going back to our earlier conversation, in service cloud, I want all of my customer support team members to be using generative AI with reply recommendations and case summaries. Those are the two biggest bottlenecks in their, the day of the life of, I know that I'm going to get more efficiency and higher employee satisfaction and higher customer satisfaction rolling out these use cases. And they've been able to roll them out literally in 10 minutes. You go to Service Cloud, you click a button, and you have your knowledge articles in, in Salesforce, and boom, you start getting um, knowledge article grounded answers drafted for you from Service GPT. And that's just, that's it. That's just a quick win. Then once once customers feel confident, they, they test it out with, they try to stump the AI with all kinds of questions, like actually works really well. Then they say, okay, well, I want to, I want to customize this prompt. I mean, these are this, it's great that we have these turnkey prompts that have been developed by product managers in Service Cloud and in Sales Cloud and in Slack and Neil's talk, but I want to customize it in my brand voice. I want these replies to be grounded, not just in my knowledge articles, but I want them to be grounded in specific custom field and custom objects in my Salesforce instance. So then they can open up, or they'll be able to on February 29th, open up Prompt Builder in the Salesforce platform. And in Prompt Builder, it'll show them the prompt template that's that was created for each of these use cases. So let's use reply recommendations or case summaries as an example. And then they can start tweaking and customizing the prompt template. They can, again, put in their brand voice. They can reference any flow, any merge field, any custom data, custom object in their Salesforce instance. Click save and it instantly works. So that's this customization. So then step three is they say, okay, well, now I feel inspired and I have a few more other use cases that my consulting partner or my SI has suggested for me that go beyond what Salesforce offers out of the box, right? Salesforce is a great library of prompt templates, but I have my own idea. So then using that same prompt builder, they can create, test, validate, A-B test, and deploy any prompt grounded in any of their Salesforce data. So then the next step we see is customers say, well, this is really great. This is this is this is just addressing a huge number of of um of experiments and use cases that I want to deploy into production. Now I want to empower even more generative AI use cases. I want grounding not just in my Salesforce data, but I want the grounding to be on all of my enterprise data. I want it to be from my ERP system, from my bug tracking system, from my um you know, whatever web engagement system. And so that's when they use our data cloud. And data cloud is a federator of data lakes, data warehouses, data silos that customers have in their organization across both structured and unstructured data. Data cloud brings all that together, unifies it, harmonizes it, cleanses it, hydrates it, and makes it ready for prime time for use in AI, either in training of models, fine tuning of models, and or in grounding of models. So then their, their Einstein co-pilot and their prompts have knowledge across their entire organization. And then last but not least, they'll say, well, I want to, I want to trigger flows and take action, not just in my Salesforce universe, but I want to trigger flows across my enterprise. And so then they sign up for MuleSoft and MuleSoft connects in. And now the Einstein co-pilot not only has knowledge of the entire organization's data, but it can also take action across all the organization's APIs and applications. So that's kind of the the maturity model that we're seeing our most sophisticated customers, and I expect many more will be following in the coming year. So you have a very well thought, well thought out maturity model and life cycle. How much of this is designed to drive efficiency or productivity improvements versus looking or enabling at a real change in their business model so that it's not just a step change of efficiency, but it really is having an impact on how they run their business. It's really both, right? Because you first have to enable the use cases in a secure, trusted, and ROI-driven um, way. And then once you do that, you start to create more 
slack in the system, no pun intended. And all of a sudden, your your customer service reps who used to be spending 40 minutes per case and now are only spending 10 minutes per case, they have more time to do more, to provide greater levels of service to their client, to reinvent themselves as sellers and brand storytellers, to help out with customer success, to help out with cross-sell and upsell. And then you really start to change the profile and shape of each department and also the margin profile of the company. And so do you see that actually taking place, that evolution taking place among your customers? It's very early days, but we're starting to see it take place. We have another question, again, from Arsalan Khan on Twitter, who wants to talk about the ethical boundaries and the responsible AI that you were speaking of earlier. And he says, it looks like Salesforce is creating its own ethical boundaries of what is and what isn't accept- acceptable in the AI uh, that you then use internally and with your clients. And he's asking, so therefore, who decides what is ethical when it comes to collecting data and what not to use, even if you have that data? I think it's this this broad question he's asking about. There is a level between Salesforce and our customers. And our customer's data is not our product. Our customer's data belongs to our customers. Then there is a secondary question of our, our customer's customer data, right? Their, their terms of service with their customers. And so the way we've addressed this is really, you can think of it in, in four, four layers. At the very bottom is our technology and what the, the trust and the guardrails that are engineered into the technology itself. And this is what I was describing earlier as our Einstein trust layer. You, you can't turn off the, the zero retention prompts. You can't turn off the audit trail. Like that is, it's just part of uh, the, that, that's how, when there's a sensitive data field, you can, we, we mask it. So that is engineered into the technology itself. The next layer above the technology is our product policy, our acceptable use policies. And um, there's, they're out there. We've published some, but just to give you a few examples here, one of our public, one of our acceptable use policies is that when, when an end customer, and I'm referring to our customer's customer, when they're interacting with an AI, it could be a voice agent, it could be a chatbot. One of our policies in the product is that it'll itself identify as an AI. And so it's not a technical limitation. It's just something that from a product standpoint, we believe very strongly in. And so that's that's part of what it is. And so um, that's the, the second layer. And there's, there's a whole bunch more like that. The third layer is around policies. And um, this is where, you know, every company has their own customer terms of service and their own policies, like privacy policies and legal policies. We, we certainly do. What we've done here is we've open sourced ours. And um, we can share the link out on, on Twitter and LinkedIn later, but it, we, we call it our ethical AI principles. And they've been you know, very thoughtfully crafted by our, again, a, com- a, a partnership between our Office for Ethical and Humane Use, our legal team, our employee success department, um, and our product team. And this is something that we've, we've had a number of customers and partners um, be able to take advantage of, especially companies who might not have the resources to create their own. And then last but not least, we, we do have that office for ethical and humane use of AI. And um, especially for you know our, our larger customers, we've, we've been able to consult, they've been able to consult with our office and, and to help there. So you're providing guidance as well to your customers on the ethical and humane use of AI, in addition to developing the policies and then building those policies, building the product to reflect those policies. That's right. What are your customers experiencing with the shift, the mindset shift of requiring so much data in order to make effective use of AI? That is certainly the name of the game. And, you know, AI, an AI that a company deploys is only as good as the data that goes into fine tuning it and grounding um, to really, again, you, you mentioned hallucinations earlier. That's the way that you you combat hallucinations is to provide context to the LLM so that the LLM doesn't feel like it has to make it up, make it up on its own. And so it's span. It, this is a huge 
part of any AI strategy. And, and again, why it's, it's just so incredible to have our data cloud. I mean, the last decade has really been about how do you bring together structured data and unify it and harmonize it. And I mean, that's what CDP has tried to do, customer data platforms in the marketing world. Data Cloud is really groundbreaking because it provides that ability for not just marketing data in use cases, but across all customer-facing functions, sales, service, marketing, product engagement, and more. And now we're seeing the equal need to provide this, not just for structured data, but also for unstructured data. And you think about all of the phone transcripts from sales calls, from contact center interactions, all of the chat transcripts, all the emails back and forth with customers, um, knowledge articles, product documentation, um, Slack conversations. There's, a, you know, most of the data and content within enterprises is actually unstructured, not structured. And so uh, we're now building a way for companies to bring that together, again, to unify it, harmonize it, be able to have it all in, in one place so that you can provide it to the LLMs in, as part of the grounding. So you're developing the tools and the platforms that customers need in order to aggregate their data. Is there a mindset shift inside your customers with respect to understanding the data challenge that they actually face now because of AI and that demand for data? I think so. I think any customer that tries to use, you know, generative AI out of the box without connecting it to a sound data strategy quickly experiences that the answers are not very good and that there's a very high hallucination rate. And so I think that that is, they're, they're, everyone is kind of, not everyone, but a lot of companies are now developing that awareness. And then when we show them the difference, when you connect in data cloud and what the output is, it just kind of speaks for itself. So customers do then understand this linkage between if we have lots of high quality data, there's going to be a, a clear impact on the results that we get from the LLM. That's right. It goes back to the phasing, right? It's I think customers know that they need to embark on, you know, a multi-month, it's not overnight, it's a multi-month data harmonization strategy, and then they need to kick that off as soon as possible. In parallel, they don't want to wait until the end of that project to be able to start deploying generative AI and getting business value from it. And so going back to the most common example of, all, of what's being used in, in our across our, our Salesforce GPT products today, it's service GPT reply recommendations and case summaries. I mean, you've got customers have their their knowledge articles in Salesforce and we can we just ground it. So when there's a there's a customer question about, you know, my 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 wireless router isn't working and this is these are the steps that I've tried and here's the weird lights that are flashing and that can get instantly grounded in knowledge articles describing the same situation and be able to answer the question. Now, if for a lot of customers, they um, they have more complex configurations and maybe their knowledge articles aren't complete or fully up to date. And so that's where data cloud can really help. What about from an investment standpoint? You know, with, with traditional technology, you buy the software, you implement the software, and you have a very defined result that takes place once you've accomplished those tasks. With AI, you have tentacles that reach in more directions, and you have this whole data issue that we were just describing. So given the more open-ended nature of AI, how do the investment decisions figure in? It's very similar to the internet. You know, in 1998, your company, like, should I invest in internet access for all my employees? Should I invest in a, in a PC or a laptop for all my employees? Like, ooh, that's really expensive. Uh, what, what, what's my first use case? Okay, I guess email makes sense. I can save on a bunch of, you know, written memos and faxes 
what's the ROI of that? So there's that way of looking at it versus saying, okay, this is this we we need to to do this. Some of the areas of ROI are immediately apparent to us, but the reality is we don't know what we don't know, but we know that this is going to be big and we need to to invest in the infrastructure to making this available and as additional applications become available or we build additional applications, we will continue to unlock more and more ROI. So again, you're starting with a defined use case, but keeping an open mind because there will be implications downstream that we may not see today. That's right. ArcelorCon comes back again, questioning the, the organizational issues. He says, okay, so we don't have an internet department going going back to uh, the, when companies were implementing internet. So the question is, uh, we don't have an internet department in our organization today. Does that mean that we will not have a department that does AI in the future? And does that mean that AI becomes so so spread through the organization that it becomes a commodity ultimately? Probably. Yeah, every application is going to have AI. And so the owners of those applications will have to become AI experts and users. But there's in, in the interim, right, it's all about how do you get to that end state? And depending on the organization, it can be helpful to have a center of excellence or um, an internal training function or you know, any any combination of, of efforts to kind of kickstart it. And that's why I think you, we saw in the New York Times, there was an article last week about how one of the hottest new jobs is being a company's chief AI officer responsible for identifying use cases, change management, and deploying those use cases internally across the company. What about talent? There is such a shortage of talent right now. So how does Salesforce manage that? And and also, what are you seeing with your customers? That's the real challenge is um, there's not very many generative AI experts because it's so new. And so, you know, we, I think Salesforce is really fortunate. We have a very strong um, employer brand and it's a place that people want to work, not just because of the business opportunity and, and career growth, but just because of our values. Um, so we, we really just have world-class talent and we've had a number of of excellent AI hires, uh, even in, in the last um, 12 months since I've been in the role. Um, of course, you know, it's it's an ongoing challenge and we have to always be vigilant and, and also proactive in scouting the very best people to join our teams. Uh, I think, but in parallel, right, both as a, at a company level as well as as an industry level, there's not enough existing AI talent out there today for all of us to hire the people that we want. And so a big part of this has to be upskilling and and retraining and seeing who has an extreme growth mindset. I, I had somebody join my team recently who had never done anything in AI and now he knows as much as anybody. And there, the resources are out there. Anyone can start using um, even ChatGPT on a personal level. They can start calling APIs for you know Google's models and Amazon's models and and OpenAI's models and and there's a, a tremendous amount of, of resources out there for anyone who desires to learn. And what are your customers doing? Same kinds of activities as Salesforce, I would assume. That's right. Yeah, everyone is very focused. This is the hottest area of talent and probably the most important right now too. Arsalan comes back again. He's he's on a roll today, and he's. Asking about uh, the this data question, when collecting data, do you make recommendations on what would be the most efficient or the standard way of data collection that will be helpful for the AI? The AI? So are you providing that kind of consulting for your customers? We do. I mean, we've got our professional services team, and that's led by my colleague, Mark Wakeland. And then we also work with all of the systems integrators and consulting firms. And so this is, again, a big change management exercise. It involves people. It involves data um, change management. It involves you know testing of use cases and then deploying them into production. And so it takes a village to make it work. And in terms of the data, how do what, what the best practices are, I think most companies today have 
multiple data lakes and data warehouses that are deployed to different departments. And so the name of the game is how do you bring that together again in a safe and secure and trusted way? And so data cloud, for example, is not meant to replace Snowflake. It's not meant to replace Google BigQuery. We partner with all of these companies. We federate in, you know, if you're a company that is very large, and I've seen some of these where you've got a BigQuery instance, um, you've got a Redshift instance, you've got a Databricks instance, you've got a Snowflake instance, great. Salesforce Data Cloud partners with all of them. We have zero ETL integrations. And so you can bring all of that together to power your AI. So again, you're creating the foundational platform that your customers can use integrated with whatever their landscape is right now. Exactly. AI is changing so rapidly. So how do you see your customers managing the rapid the rapid shift in the technologies and in the capabilities that those technologies and therefore the implications for their processes and for their organizations? It's very difficult. And I mean, even for ourselves, right? I mean, just to, to think about, I mean, I'll just share what we've done at Salesforce now talk about our customers. I think there are some interesting parallels. So we we saw this opportunity, you know, last December. I mean, we saw, saw this before. We were, we were experimenting with our own large language models. Salesforce research has been building large language models and publishing papers on them since 2018. So shortly after the work that Google did. And um, and so we've, we've had our, our, our own models. And then we started playing around with the, the other models that are out there. And we said, look, we need to get something to market, but that can't be the end game, right? It's got to be this continuous innovation. And so we divvied it up into Horizon 1, Horizon 2, and Horizon 3. And Horizon 1 is what I said we shipped last summer. It's these turnkey use cases for service GPT, sales GPT, commerce GPT, Slack GPT, et cetera. And we knew that customers would want to use something right away. And we did that all on top of our Einstein trust layer. Horizon 2, we defined was how do we build out the shared services in the platform that, again, all the internal applications developers at Salesforce for each of these app clouds can use, but also all of our customers and ISV and SI partners. And that's what we're releasing in a few weeks with Prompt Builder, Copilot, and Copilot Studio. And also Einstein Studio. Einstein Studio allows customers to bring their own models and to fine tune their own models within Salesforce's environment. And then Horizon Three is an ongoing set of experiments, right? Just like, just like um, the work that we did that resulted in Service GPT that we we called it a Gucci brand voice project two and a half years ago. We've got you know a dozen or more of those types of experiments going on at any given time, and as those show promise with our early development customers, we then graduate them into our existing products. So that's what we do. Customers, I think, have to do the same thing, right? They've, they've got to start with a quick wins. Then they have to think about a broader strategy of, of, of reinventing every function at the company. I mean, that's that's what my, my colleague, Juan, who's our CIO, that's what he's doing. He's partnering with every functional head at Salesforce from our chief marketing officer to our chief revenue officer to our chief customer success and customer support officer to reimagine each department function using AI, just as, again, people in the in those roles did in the 90s around the internet. I think what you're describing makes perfect sense. You start with something that is achievable, demonstrate value, make it manageable, but relevant and having value and get some experience and some success and then expand, radiate out from there, being aware of the possibilities and the implications that may exist downstream in a positive way and being prepared for also unexpected issues that that may arise as, as you broaden out. That's right. It's a very agile approach that combines the best of top down and bottom up. And what we've seen is like when you when you see those initial use cases to people, especially if you co-create with them, like we have with our teams and like we did with the Gucci client service team, then people like come up with their own ideas. They get really excited and you create forums for them like hackathons to partner with 
your developers, and then they get to test out their use cases, and those become the next set of use cases in that department, and then the next set. And you do that every quarter, and before long, you know, you've reinvented a lot of the jobs to be done in that in that function. We have a question from Wes Andrews who says that I think he's making two points. Number one is efficiently the efficient implementation of AI projects where, wherever it might be, because historically software implementations have been really difficult for, for the customer. That's number one. And then separately, where are we in terms of being able to deliver uh, really customized LLM solutions? For the first question, uh, I think AI itself is going to be a very powerful tool in improving the quality, success rate, and time to, to deployment, time to value of traditional software projects. And that spans both non-AI software projects and also AI software projects. I mean, the classic, the classic way that implementations fail or go off the rails is that um, usually it's, you know, a, a partner giving bad advice or someone giving bad advice and not understanding the out-of-the-box capabilities of Salesforce and thus over-customizing and then having to maintain those customizations versus using something that just works um, natively out of Salesforce. See, often it's 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 no code um, and then that being maintained by Salesforce. And I mean, that happened to me when I was leading my startup hearsay was we we hired and you know, we were trying to cost economize and we we hired a, a consulting partner that wasn't an expert in Salesforce Sales Cloud, and we just misconfigured it, and we really actually just had to start over um, and, and take care of that. I think AI will be able to catch that much earlier and provide a lot more implementation guidance. I mean, Salesforce has also come a long way in providing better defaults in, in the solution. I think one of the, the great powers of Salesforce is, is how customizable and configurable it is, but if you don't know what you're doing, it can also become a liability. And so those, having those preset defaults have helped a lot there. Um, and I think AI is going to help. And, and we're already seeing that our, our professional services team is using AI itself to help with those implementation plans, to help with the change management. And again, as we talked about earlier, so much of this is not just the technology and how it's configured, it's bringing everybody along. And so um, being able to use AI to, to generate better documentation and to solicit more input and feedback, going back to the importance of getting buy-in from your users and human psychology, I think AI can help with all of that. We have another question, uh, an important question from Ariana Gaspar, who says, how can someone who is a beginner in AI start learning new skills to help stay ahead of the evolving workforce? Were there any upskilling trends that you saw with the Gucci team? In the workplace, it's really about having a growth mindset and you know, using these technologies and, and really thinking about, okay, how is this going to change what my goals are and how I accomplish those goals and how I spend my time. I think more broadly than than a workplace, than being a participant in a workplace deployment, um, you know, I think it's just it's using these technologies at a personal level. And I, I use Bard. I'm on the PTA of my son's school, and I some from time to time have to uh, write emails or or create flyers or have help with community events and, and party plan. And BARD has been an amazing tool to help me do that. Um, and so, I mean, just like with the internet, right? Like a lot of, you know, the consumerization of IT in the early 2000s came from people using um, Yahoo and, and Google and Gmail and Hotmail and expecting their, their work systems to be as easy to use. And so I think a lot of it is just is just being curious and starting to use these on a personal level and then thinking about how that what that means for your job. I think that's really good advice. You know, when I am writing things or doing research or analyzing things these days, I will use multiple AI tools and ask similar or the same question to each in order to cross-reference and correlate the results. Oh, I love that. It's like, yeah, consulting multiple experts. Arsalan Khan comes back, uh, asks an important question, but I'll ask you to answer it relatively quickly because we're simply running out of time. He wants to know about the, the 
impact on jobs and job displacements. And he says, what about people purposely sabotaging or slowing down an AI project because they feel their job may be displaced? Well, the latter sounds like exactly what the Luddites did, destroying factory machines. I don't think it's a good uh, medium or long-term proposition. Um, in terms of, of job displacement, there's going to be job displacement of some level, but there's also going to be a lot of new jobs created. And this is exactly what the internet did, right? The internet transformed entire industries, um, starting with media and retail. And there were a lot of jobs that were lost in the process, a lot of store closures. Um, and there were a lot, even more, a greater number of jobs that were created um, for online commerce and um, with influencers and um, digital marketing managers. And so I think there there's role and responsibility at every stakeholder level. Right. Whereas I spent the week in DC talking to members of Congress, you know, at the government level, we have to reform K to 12 education, which is I know it's not easy to do because it'd have to go state by state. But I look at what, you know, the kids are learning and my kids are learning in school today. And I, I don't know if that's if, if it's preparing them to be successful in an AI era. And so that is an imperative is we need to reform education. We do need to modernize the curriculum, learning how to code, learning how to use AI, understanding the shortcomings of AI have become as important as reading, writing, and math. And so we need to reflect our curriculum to do that. Um, so there's a role of government. And, and then for those already in the workforce, being able to support reskilling and training for for our citizens, very important. And at the company level, you know, there are things that companies need to be doing, right? Again, providing a safe, secure environment for employees to be able to use these technologies versus banning it altogether. That's probably not smart. It's not a, a wise move for the business to not allow AI that's going to hurt their competitiveness. And then there's the role that managers can play, right? Is to think about what does this mean for my function, for my my employees? And then there it's incumbent on, upon each individual employee, right? In the 90s, there was no one who's going to is going to make you learn how to use the internet or make you learn how to type. You kind of had to learn and figure it out yourself, right? So we each have individual responsibility in in using these technologies too. A great summary of the the complexities and what we should be doing ourselves, which is developing our own sense of curiosity and the mindset that we want to go out and and learn. Clara, any Final thoughts very quickly before we finish up. This is a, a pivotal time, not just in technology, but but in society. And um, I think it's, you know, we're having these dialogues and, and this is this is going to change the world. And we're just at the very, very early days. So I'm looking forward to it and learning, looking forward to continuing to learn from all of you and partnering together to build the future. Well, this has been a very action-packed hour. I, I want to say a huge thank you to Clara Shai the CEO of Salesforce AI. Clara, thank you so much for being with us. I'm so grateful to you. It's been a pleasure. And thank you to everybody who watched, especially you folks who asked such great questions. You guys are amazing. Now, before you go, please subscribe to the CXO Talk newsletter and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We have great shows coming up. Check out CXOTalk.com and we will see you again soon. Take care, everybody.